SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com. SB Nation's home for G5 football, Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry here with you once again, trying to survive the COVID-19 apocalypse, unfortunately. But uh, getting into that, let, let's talk about a week that was pretty ravaged by that phenomenon with three games canceled. Uh, Charlotte and Gardner-Webb didn't get played. UAB and North Texas did not get played, and uh, Louisiana Tech and Rice did not get played. Uh, game that did get played, however, FAU and FIU on Friday the 13th. Owls win that one 38-19. to uh, JV on Posey, 18 carries for 182 yards and a touchdown, filling in that quarterback role wonderfully once again for his team. Uh, Eric, I believe you were at this game. What did you see from the Panthers and the Owls in this game? Yes, I was there live in living color from Ricardo Silva Stadium on a balmy Friday afternoon in November, kind of par for the course for South Florida. Unfortunately for the Panthers, you know, fortunately for the Owls, if you're an Owl fan, listen to this. JV on Posey, the emergence of JV on Posey, he's certainly, and I guess it's only one game, you don't want to get too carried away because the, the stats themselves weren't necessarily, you know, mind-blowing as a passer, but as a rusher, 18 carries for a buck, 82, one touchdown. He looked like the best athlete or one of the best athletes on a field, on the field, on a field that is filled with plenty of South Florida talent and kind of brought back images of one Quentin Flowers from Willie Taggart's time at South Florida. Um, the passing numbers, 10 of 16 for 80 yards, two touchdowns, did throw two touchdowns. So, you know, had a, a couple scores there, but. Um, yeah, that was the big thing is that this kind of brought back images of Willie Taggart at USF with the Gulf Coast offense and how successfully they ran that to two consecutive 10 win seasons. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. If you're a Panther fan, the biggest thing is, again, the offense is struggling outside of Devontae Price. Devontae Price had 26 carries for a buck 78 and one score outside of Devontae Price. The passing game is not there. Stone Norton. 7-12 for 43 yards, was sacked four times. Max Bortenschlager came in uh, after the first offensive drive of the second half, went 11-21 for a buck 49, one touchdown. Uh, the touchdown was a, a pass to Rivaldo Fairweather that was fairly meaningless, and, and um, the true freshman kind of took a, a quick slam, took it to the house. So it'll go down as a 67-yard TD pass, but it was more of a catch and run. But that's the big thing, is that FAU was unstoppable on the ground. I mean, whether it's Malcolm Davidson or Jamal Charles, uh, even B.J. Emmons got a, got a couple carries in there, too. But mainly, Davidson, Charles, and Posey uh, combined for 381 rushing yards. I think this is the second straight year that FAU has gone over 300 yards rushing against the Panthers and the Shula Bowl. So a failure to stop the run. And for FIU, the passing struggles continue. And that kind of you know amounted to what you saw on Friday night. Quentin, or Quentin Flowers, that is a name I have not heard in a long time, to quote Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, but yeah, no, that's a good point. Willie Taggart uh, really settling into his role at FIU uh, wonderfully, just given the uh, you know the amount of obstacles that FAU has had to face between cancellations uh, and Nick Tronti not really living up to, you know, I think the expectations so far, but um, really a really, really good start for FAU. And as we've talked about in depth already uh really could not have been a worse start for fau to this uh already pretty cursed season um 
with that, then let's jump to the Saturday games and talk about Western Kentucky beating Southern Miss 10 to 7. Uh, Tyrell Pigram, one of his better days under center for the tops, in my opinion, 19 of 30 for 183 yards. Um, only touchdown for Southern Miss came from Kevin Perkins on the ground, who uh, contributed 71 yards. Um, and uh, Tyrell, I should add, Tyrell Pigram added uh, Western Kentucky's only touchdown with a rushing score for him. Um, you know, I think for this game, it, what if you're going to take something positive away for Western Kentucky, which there's there's a few things. I think the offensive production was kind of what it's been all year, but I think you do have to give it to them no matter who the opponent is um, with the amount of stops that they produced in the fourth quarter uh, in order to come away with this victory. Um, and then, of course, uh, two program records broken in this game. Devon Key sets the FBS-era program record at WKU with 327 career tackles and uh, defensive end D'Angelo Malone reigning CUSA defensive player of the year uh, sets that program record for career sacks with 25. Uh, so if you're Western Kentucky, um, a decent little step in the right direction there, uh, still three and six, however, and uh, Southern Miss drops to two and six. Yeah, Joe, my biggest takeaway from this is really just, you know, the quarterback situation at Southern Miss, and that's something that we will get into in the middle section. Jack Abraham opted out due to concussions, and now it appears that he will be no longer uh, with the program, kind of a mutual parting of the ways that, once again, we'll get into in the middle section. But that aside, as we've talked about all year, quarterback issues around Conference USA, and it continues to plague Southern Miss. Trey Lowe wasn't able to get much of anything going, 6 of 14, I uh, believe he had yeah, 67 yards passing. So not really the type of output that you really uh, need to kind of get a win there and give credit to Western Kentucky's defense. It's the one thing that we were high on coming into the year. Guys like Devin Key, as you mentioned, who set that program record. D'Angelo Malone also added two sacks, you know, so all the way around. Uh, there definitely was a, a huge, uh, like, a, I don't want to say huge sigh of relief, but just definitely a, a chance for the defense to really go out there and flex their muscle against an opponent that they were well matched up against, as opposed to maybe early in the year against a Louisville team or some, you know, the teams that looked like they were kind of blown out of the water or BYU and things of that nature. So um, really quick for Southern Miss, kind of positive takeaways. I know it's been a tough year at two and six on the defensive side. Malik Shorts, sophomore, 11 tackles. He's having an excellent year in the defensive secondary. Defensive secondary, excuse me. And uh, Hayes Maples, uh, he's going to lead the team in tackles. I believe he has 77 on the year. He's one of the top tacklers in Conference USA. So they do have two young guys on defense who are, you know, kind of able to uh, emerge as playmakers in this year with so many guys opting out. You know, they've been able to gain some experience. But all in all, for Southern Miss, if you go 3-12 and 12 on third down and you can't get much in the passing game, uh, it's not going to amount to much success as far as getting in the win column. So, Kudos to uh, Tyson Helton. Kudos to Western Kentucky and Tyrell Pigram. Finally had like an efficient game, you know, a game that that didn't necessarily lose it for them, but one that was able to get the job done and win it for them. So uh, Western Kentucky picked up the victory. For sure. Uh, Marshall cruised to another win, 42-14 to 14 at home. Uh, the number 16 team due to move up once again, it would seem. Grant Wells, five touchdowns through the air in this game. Uh, Brendan Knox also contributing uh, 70 yards on the ground. Um, so, I mean, more or less what we expected here. MTSU, uh, more issues than we have really even time to get into on, on in one episode here. But uh, Marshall... They improved to 7-0, 4-0 in CUSA play and looking more and more like the favorite to win the league every day. 
Middle Tennessee hung in there tough for, you know, about the first half. I believe it was a two-score uh, two deficit going to halftime. But my big takeaway, Joe, and we kind of talked about this in previous episodes, but Grant Wells, yes, 25 of 37 for 336, five touchdowns. Definitely not something that you want to just brush over, right? But the receivers for Marshall is something that I don't think any of us could have seen coming. And I know I've talked about again on previous podcasts about Obi Obialo opting out and kind of figuring out what was going to be that production, right? Willie Johnson, two touchdowns. Corey Gamage, two touchdowns. Artie Henry, five grabs for 63 yards. Xavier Gaines, probably one of the more athletic tight ends in all of college football, three catches for 57 yards. That was the big thing for me, man. It like, felt like coming into this year, Joe, it was like Brendan Knox and defense, Brendan Knox and defense, right? But with the emergence of Grant Wells, and more importantly, now it looks like they've got playmakers on the outside. The big thing for me that I, you almost kind of, uh, you can't go back in hindsight and, and wish you had this, wish you had that. But if this Marshall team played against UCF in the Gasparilla Bowl last year, that would have been a much more competitive matchup. And you almost kind of wonder what they would be able to do to push one of the better G5 teams over the past five years in UCF. But all in all, you know, Marshall, kind of what you expected, as you mentioned, they're number 15 or, or number 16, excuse me, in the nation. And the rest of their schedule kind of bears out with, if, you know, they've got Rice and Middle, uh, excuse me, Rice and, uh, what's the last game here? Sorry about that. FIU, I should know that. Uh, they come to Miami final game of the year. But, you know, it, it, there's no reason to think that they won't finish the season 9-0. and And you almost kind of wish for Doc Holliday uh, that this kind of team would have an entire full season non-COVID to really show how good they are. Absolutely. I would love to see what they could do with a full schedule in this form. But uh, wishful thinking, it would seem. Um I'll tell you, though, I would love to see a full season out of UTSA, too, based on how they've played this year. Uh, they beat UTEP at home 52-21 to 21 over the weekend. UTSA now improved to 5-4. and four. UTEP uh, at 3-4 and four at this point in the season. And I've said before, I think UTSA's success hinges largely on a healthy Frank Harris. And he was healthy and he was ready to go in this game. 22 of 26, uh, 312 yards through the air and three touchdowns, uh, one of which went to Zachary Franklin, who caught six balls for 118 yards. And uh, kudos to Brendan Barry filling in for Sincere McCormick. Uh, Brady picked up 26 carries for 124 yards in the day. Uh, and while McCormick didn't play, uh, still worthy of congratulations because he became a dad. So uh, kudos to you, my friend. Um, but, uh, yeah, so UTSA continues to march on and, uh, Jeff trailer, looks like he's really got that program going in the right direction. Yeah, Joe, you kind of hit the nail on the head right there. As far as just the, the emergence, I don't want to say the emergence, but just if, if UTSA can get this kind of performance out of Frank Harris and yeah, 22 or 26, probably tough, a tough task to expect that every week, but it's kind of what we thought we were seeing out of Frank Harris at the beginning of the year before the injuries and then guys like Josh Adkins and Lowell Narcisse came there were playing great football as well. And it's like, man, Joe, uh, for a program that we felt like over the past two or three years, couldn't find one quarterback, all of a sudden they have a, a wealth of riches at the position now. Right. So that's a, that's kind of interesting to see. And yeah, Brendan Brady is a, is a talented back in his own right. He played, got some significant playing time in 2018 before sincere McCormick burst on the scene last year. Congrats to sincere on the birth of his child, but 26 carries were buck 24. And Zakari Franklin, as you mentioned, the six grass or buck 18 and one touchdown. This is just, if you're a UTSA fan, you've got to be kind of overjoyed in the, in the, in the sense that, you know, like I said, a couple of years ago, not only did you not have a quarterback, but this team couldn't put points on the board. I, I think my memory serves me correct. It was a year where they, they, I want to say it was the 2018 year. They were averaging 11 or 12 points a game. And now for, to have this kind of performance, a 52 point outburst, 
you know, just a wealth of riches. So things are certainly trending in the right direction. And, and Jeff Trailer, you know, definitely got to be in consideration for, uh, you know, maybe maybe even national coach of the year if they can finish this thing out and win Conference USA West. Yeah, I mean, UTSA just doing all the right things at this point. And you mentioned the depth. Uh, that was one of the other things I wanted to touch on. But, you know, certainly – I think that just kind of speaks to the talent that uh, this school's really attracting right now. If you can have that kind of depth at uh, running back specifically and have guys ready to step up uh, when you're playing in-state opponents, regardless of if it is UTEP or not, that's something to be uh, proud of and and optimistic for the future about for sure. Um, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With that, then let's let's talk about uh, some other news and notes from CUSA from the past week or so. Um, for the second time this season, Louisiana Tech uh, going to be without uh, Devon Campbell this week as he is entering his name in the 2021 NFL Draft. Um, as we've kind of seen from that whole Louisiana Tech offense over the last couple of years, been extremely productive. Uh, you know, Campbell, I, I think he's been a big part of that. Um, so I think he's got a decent shot to land somewhere. Uh, I do kind of question the timing of this decision, though. It seems a little strange, regardless of everything happening with Louisiana Tech getting games canceled left and right here. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, Joe, that this is just a really weird season. And think about it, right? If you're Donovan Campbell, and this is a guy for you know listeners who may not know, big-time prospect, began his career at LSU, uh, played both sides of the ball in high school, but kind of – uh, transitioned to guard and now um, guard at LSU and now left tackle at La Tech was a four-star prospect. I mean, you know, I believe it was the number nine or number 10 rated player in all of Louisiana coming out. So definitely a, a big time prospect. But if you're him and you, yeah, you don't want to necessarily want to abandon the team, right? And, and that's something you have to weigh. But Joe, if any year that you kind of have to look out for yourself, it's this year. If Donovan Campbell, you don't want to speak into existence, but let's say he were to contract COVID. And he's not able to fully, you know, kind of get into his prep for the NFL draft in 2021 due to recovery and all the things that, you know, we still don't know about how that affects your body. I, I can't blame him for saying, hey, you know, uh, uh, I've I've done enough this year to where it looks like I may be able to, you know, kind of secure my NFL future, especially given someone who at LSU, you know, he, he played a, a fair amount uh, in 2019. Uh, I think I believe he played seven or eight games and and um, I want to say played about 18, 19 games overall his career at LSU. So the fact that he really was able to have his stock rise as it was able to, you got to put himself first, you know, and I understand it. No, that's a fair point. Um, I think, I think you're right. When, when everything, when you take into account the COVID stuff and everything that's going on, I, I, I do think it makes sense now. Um, but I, I think it's just something that we're all kind of adjusting to, I think in a regular sure. year. Uh, yeah. You know, but still um, some transfer news. We have Charlotte safety Jaclone Fugate entering the transfer portal. He started four games for the 49ers this year with 16 tackles. Um, and then uh, defensive end slash linebacker Alexi Jean-Baptiste is uh, transferring out of uh, FIU, uh, which is 
a pretty big loss for them. Uh, while he's been uh, hurt this year, he did lead the team in sacks uh, last year. And uh, he's not the only CUSA player who's now transferring this for the second time that we'll talk about. But uh, Jean-Baptiste originally transferred to FIU from Arkansas. So how's that going to affect the Panthers, Eric? Yeah, I'll start with JC on Fugate first. That one kind of caught me by surprise, but I guess when you look at the way Charlotte's schedule has been, you know, they haven't been able to play a ton of games. Fugate's kind of rotated in there in his safety spot. Was a really good player last year. Had 69 tackles, four and a half tackles for loss, and two sacks. Uh, I honestly thought he was one of the more underrated defensive backs in Conference USA, especially a guy who at his size at 5'11", a buck 80, you know, could kind of play both corner and safety. So that one, I, I don't want to say necessarily it, it surprised me as much as it surprised me that he wasn't necessarily having the impact he did last year, but it's kind of easy to see that given how Charlotte's been affected by cancellation after cancellation. So he's a guy who I'll definitely be paying a, co- paying a close eye at to see where he lands. As far as Alexi Jean-Baptiste, Joe, that's one that's really interesting, right? So Alexi is a very talented athlete. He was someone who coming out of high school in South Florida was a linebacker slash defensive end. Just, you know, Joe, you're talking about a guy at, at 6'3", six, 6'4", six, 245 pounds, runs a 4'49", or at, ran a 4'49 in high school. So that type of level of athleticism and definitely has power five level athleticism. However, he didn't really get on the field much at Arkansas, you know, kind of battled injuries and then, you know, wasn't necessarily in, in the rotation. He transfers down to FIU, doesn't become eligible immediately, becomes eligible after the third game last season. And was easily the team's best pass rusher. You know, led the team in sacks. I believe he had six and a half last year. Numerous quarterback hurries, numerous pressures. This year was really expecting big things out of him. But again, it feels like just rinse and repeat as far as it being a COVID year and throwing everything off. He gets injured in the Liberty game. And we haven't seen much of him since. I I don't believe. I know the, the 247 transfer portal said he appeared in two games. By my notes, I only see him at, at the Liberty game. I don't believe he, he played. He's played another game this year. So uh, with that... I just would be curious as well to see where he lands because it almost felt to me like his best football is at the G5 level, if that makes sense, right? It's not necessarily that his athleticism isn't one that could land him in probably any P5 school in the nation, but to get the most out of his talent, especially given the fact that he, you know, kind of struggled to see the field at Arkansas, um, definitely thought he would have, you know, kind of remained at FIU and just, you know, ran it back in 2021, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, that's a solid point. From what we've seen out of him, he is a very athletic individual. So I'm curious to see where he ends up. And uh, I, I think I called JC on uh, Jaclone, and I'm a little overcaffeinated, so I apologize. Mm-hmm. Don't roast me too bad, Tintin. Um, but then we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll talk about the uh, the big transfer uh, on the news docket today, and that's uh, Jack Abraham leaving the Southern Miss football program. Uh, those two parties are uh, parting ways. Uh, that comes to us from uh, our buddy Patrick McGee at the uh, Sun-Herald. Uh, so I think this is – it's just an interesting situation to see that a, you know, Jack Abraham, of course, transferring for the second time in his college career. And, um, you know, I think with everything happening this year, we knew Jack Abraham was, was going to get another shot at a a college season anyway, but it's, uh, you know, it hurts Southern miss big time that he's leaving because he was a very big part of what they could have potentially built, especially obviously on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, first things first, 1010 always means well. That is my tailgate home for when I'm heading to Charlotte. So want to make sure I uh, get on the record. I'm sure you'll appreciate that. No, as, as far as Southern Miss and Jack Abraham, you know, 
Joe, it's interesting. Um, I, I want to run one quick question by you. I mean, you can you know answer in one sentence or less. Does it, do you view Jack Abraham differently um, or you know negatively because he's now transferred for the second time in his career as a quarterback? No, um, I no, I don't. I mean, I think being in the Southern Miss situation, even prior to everything that they've had to deal with this season, was tough. I think if your goal is seriously to play, you know, quarterback at the professional level, getting noticed in CUSA is very difficult. So I don't, I don't, I will never blame uh, a student athlete for transferring out of a situation where, for one reason or another, they aren't happy because while I wasn't a college level athlete, I transferred in in undergrad because I wasn't happy. So I definitely don't think of him any. I don't view him as any less of a, you know, I don't know. I don't view him as less of a, a person for transferring here. Sure. So I'll make it quick. I want to piggyback off what you're saying, and I do agree with you as far as that sentiment. Jack Abraham has played for multiple offensive coordinators. So I've got Buster Faulkner, and and um, of course, I'm forgetting the, the, the coordinator came over from, from Louisiana to take the job now. I'm sorry it's escaping me. I apologize. But he's played for multiple offensive coordinators. He is someone who, quite frankly, has wrote it out or written it out, you know, whichever uh, for someone who writes, I should have a better command of the English language. But I, I think with Jack Abraham, he reminds me, Joe, of a guy like Gardner Minshew, who was a pedestrian quarterback at best at, at uh, East Carolina. Jack Abraham, quite frankly, probably is a better quarterback than he was, than Minshew was at ECU. He, uh, Garner Minshew goes to West to it's not Western Kentucky goes to Washington State uh, with Mike Leach. Next thing you know, he's an NFL draft pick. I see Jack Abraham as someone who could play not only among the G five ranks, but can get in the right system at the Power Five level and maximize his talent. So, uh, no issues with him transferring. And uh, quite frankly, I can't even say that I'm surprised. With that, then let's jump into some uh, Week 12 previews for the upcoming week. Already have a couple games canceled, which is, of course, a bummer. Uh, Charlotte was set to host, or rather, Marshall was set to host Charlotte. That is not happening. And uh, Louisiana Tech was set to host UL Monroe. Also not happening. Um, so with that, let's start off with the two, or rather, the one Friday game that we have. Uh, Florida Atlantic hosting UMass at uh, 8 o'clock Eastern on CBS Sports Network. Um, FAU favored by uh, 32 and a half heading into this game. Really don't see any reason uh, that they wouldn't cover that at this point. They're playing very, very well. Uh, UMass struggling. Uh, they are a far cry from when... Um, Andy Isabella was really shining there uh, as we saw him play for the Arizona Cardinals the other night. But uh, I, I digress. Um, FAU are an easy pick in this one for me. Not much more to add on that one. And I've talked about many times this podcast for UMass this year. This is almost going to serve as spring practice, these games for him. You know, Walt Bell's trying his best to get them heading in the right direction. But as far as the FAU Owls are concerned, definitely want to see what Javion Posey can offer in his second start. Should expect great things against the UMass team, as we've said. That's rebuilding. And Jim Levitt's defense. I mean, you want to talk about a string of great defensive coordinators. You go from Glenn Spencer last year. They really picked up. Now Jim Levitt this year really seems like the players, guys like Leighton McCarthy and Chris Jones and Jalen Joyner are really, you know, flourishing uh, I'm on Ross. I mean, a lot of guys are really flourishing for that uh, FAU defense. It'd definitely be interesting to see how they go, but FAU by at least two scores, three scores. 
Yeah, at, at the very least, like you said. Uh, we were also supposed to have a, a UTEP UAB contest on Friday, but sounds like that one is canceled. Uh, once again, our thoughts and prayers are with the UTEP community as COVID-19 cases continue to surge at an alarming rate in that area. Uh, then let's jump into the Saturday games. We have Western Kentucky hosting FIU. Tops favored by seven and a half in this game. Uh, I think the tops are a decent enough pick here. Um, you know, I, I think we've covered it enough, uh, enough rather uh, in detail this season. Western Kentucky, by no means the best they've ever been, uh, but I think they have enough ammo to take down an FIU team that's that's really really struggling right now. Um, and you can definitely catch that one at. Uh, 2 p.m. Eastern on ESPN3, live from beautiful Bowling Green, Kentucky. Yeah, Joe. I mean, I am heading to Joe Londrigan country, uh, Hutchinson <laughs> Stadium. Uh, I'll be there. It'll be my first trip to the hot, so I'm uh, excited to see how that'll play out. But all in all, just as far as the game, kind of add on to what you said. It, for Western Kentucky, if they can get Tyrell Pigram going, especially against the FIU defense that has struggled against dual threat quarterbacks, whether it's Malik Willis at Liberty, uh, you saw last week with Javion Posey. You saw Asher O'Hara, Middle Tennessee State. They struggled going back to last year. If they can get him going as far as a rusher and passer, I don't see any reason why the Tops can't win. For FIU, if they're able to somehow muster up some sort of passing game and keep Pigram in check, I give them a fighting chance. But in the end, I do think Western Kentucky wins uh, by less than a score, but I think Western Kentucky wins. All right. I wouldn't refer to it as Joe Lonergan country when you go. That won't get you very far. But <laughs> we're in agreement on that one then. Uh, 2 p.m. Eastern on ESPN3, we have North Texas uh, hosting Rice. Two squads we haven't seen a lot of this year. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and pick Rice in this game based on what we have seen out of them. Uh, I feel like they are headed in the right direction under Mike Bloomgren there. Uh, North Texas, I think there's plenty to be you know happy about based on what their offense is doing, but I I just think there's too many issues on that defense that uh, they're not going to be able to f- get fixed before uh, Saturday. So give me the owls in this one. Joe, the positive North Texas, our lead is leading Conference USA in points per game with 39.2. Joe, the negative for North Texas is they are leading Conference USA, our last, I should say, in Conference USA in points allowed with 44.2. Can't make much of that, right? It just kind of a continuation of last year. I will say this. Give me Rice because I think they'll be able to, you know, put forth enough points to win. Uh, with Mike Collins and, you know, guys like Austin Trammell and, and what they've been doing there. But I also think the Rice defense led by Blaze Aldridge, and if they're able to, you know, get back guys like George Nyquall, I don't know his status uh, for the weekend's game, but if they can get him back and then some of the other talent they have there on defense, I think they'll be able to put together enough of a uh, defensive performance to shut down the high-powered North Texas Mean Green offense. Fair enough. And then we have Southern Miss hosting UTSA at 3 p.m. Eastern on ESPN+. Uh, UTSA favored by nine heading into this game. Uh, Roadrunner should have uh, new dad Sincere McCormick back in the lineup, so no reason to think they wouldn't uh, run away with this one by at least 10. Um yeah, and of course, again, if Frank Harris stays healthy, I suspect it'll be uh, a margin much, much higher than that. But uh, give me the Roadrunners before I ramble too much. I am in agreement with you. They're definitely intrigued to see a matchup of two of Conference USA's better young running backs in Frank Gore Jr. and Sincere McCormick. Hopefully that plays out. Of course, it's early in the week, so you know, I want to knock on wood that we're able to get all those guys healthy and into the weekend. But with that being said, I just think UTSA is on a roll. This is a game that, listen, it's been – more than a few years since UTSA has really been in contention in the West. And the fact that they're in contention this late, they're playing for more than what Southern Miss is right now. 
Southern Miss playing for just pride. Uh, you know, credit to Tim Billings for keeping things together there. But I think uh, UTSA with Jeff Trailer, they're on a mission to win the West. And, you know, I don't think that Southern Miss is able to put up much of a stand against that. And to round out the slate, we have Troy hosting Middle Tennessee at 3.30 Eastern on ESPN3. Uh, if you haven't watched a lot of Troy football this year, uh, still that kind of high-flying, fast-paced brand of offensive football. They're, I will say they're not great at defending the run. So if MTSU can get that aspect of their game going, they might have a fighting chance. But I think it, it, Troy is uh, – I think Troy just has more going in their favor. So give me the Trojans at home for this one. Yeah, definitely a matchup of, you know, kind of two offenses that have a, the the really potential to be high power. Uh, Gunnar Watson and Jacob Free there at Troy. Of course, Asher O'Hara at Middle Tennessee State. Like you mentioned, Troy's defense hasn't exactly performed well. You know, they've uh, certainly had their struggles. But with that being said, I do think that Troy is the more well-rounded team here in a matchup of CUSA versus the Sun Belt. And unfortunately for uh, us CUSA fans, the Sun Belt's kind of gotten the better of Conference USA in the majority of the matchups. Give me the Trojans. And that's going to round out this uh, slate of previews for week 12 within CUSA. Uh, we'll be back next week to recap all the action from the games that do end up getting played this week and uh, preview uh, what will be week 13 of the CUSA season. Thank you all so much for listening and sticking with us through this roller coaster of a year, to say the least. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore at Eric C. Henry underscore. And of course, at Underdog Dynasty and check out UnderdogDynasty.com every day for more G5 football content. Uh, we'll be back with you very soon. Have a great weekend. Happy football watching, everybody. 